Good morning, church family. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here today, especially if you're a guest. We want to welcome our guests. We want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. And uh, we're having, as a part of our uh, financial series this uh, uh, month of November, we're having a Solomon Foundation weekend. And so I'd like to introduce Doug Crozier and Ryan Riggins to come join me on the platform. Let's give them a real warm Mount Pleasant welcome. All right. Now, many of you know Doug because he's been here several times. He's a great friend of Mount Pleasant Christian Church, and I'm going to ask Doug to go ahead and introduce Ryan to everyone today. Great. Well, thank you, Chris. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to be at Mount Pleasant. Um, You know, as an organization matures and moves to the next step, it's always important to make sure we have continuity and leadership. And so... uh, This last year or two, I've searched the entire country to hire someone uh, that could really be potentially the person to be the next CEO. So we we found Ryan at the crossing in uh, in Illinois, and we hired Ryan as our new president. Yeah. Well, well, let's give Ryan a warm welcome as the new president. So, so Doug, you retain at the current time you retain the title of CEO, and then Ryan's come on to be the president and uh, moved his family to to Denver area where the Solomon Foundation is. And the Crossing is a great church, uh, Quincy, Illinois, in multiple locations. Uh, and uh, a great friend of mine, Jerry Harris, and Doug's is the is, and Ryan's is the pastor of, of that church or the outgoing pastor. He's yes. getting ready to retire, so Clayton Hensel will be yeah. the pastor there. Well, Doug, uh, just give our folks, like you always do, just a brief explanation of what the Solomon Foundation is as a church extension fund? So we are a church extension fund, which basically means we're a parachurch organization, comes alongside the church. We help them buy land, buy buildings, rehab buildings, build additions, anything associated with with, uh, facilities is really our sweet spot. We come alongside, help the church do that. We provide all the financing uh, for that, but it's more of a partnership uh, than it is a lending relationship. Okay. And, and, and Mount Pleasant has been a partner with the Solomon Foundation from the very beginning. And I was privileged enough to serve as a founding board member for the first six years, which was a great experience for me as well. So, uh, Ryan... It was, it was a great experience for us too, Chris. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> we appreciate you. Ryan, tell us about what your background is, how, how, uh, uh, what you've been doing professionally before you came on board of the Solomon Foundation. Yes, sir. Yeah, I graduated from Western Illinois University and I uh, spent 16 years in community banking okay. actually before this. So yeah. uh, I'm a member of the crossing and so heard about the Solomon Foundation, uh-huh. you know, whenever, uh, whenever Doug and the staff came in to do their TSF weekends yeah. just like this. And, yeah. and so then Doug called in, in March and here we are. Yeah. So you guys have that in common because you came out of the banking industry too several years ago when, when your first experience was with Church Development Fund out in Southern California. All right. Well, give us a little bit of an update on what's going on with the Solomon Foundation these days in terms of helping churches get to the next level. We're really busy, Chris. <laughs> we are really busy, but that's always been the scenario. Yeah. Uh, so what's happening at the Solomon Foundation right now is pretty unique because we've decided as a team that we're gonna look outward rather than inward. So what that means is, as many financial institutions are looking inward and not originating new loans to churches, we feel we need to look outward and we need to go raise the capital to help churches all across the country because our competition and because banks are, are not really interested in making loans to churches, we have, I can't count 
the number of loan requests that we have currently where churches need help because no one else is out there. So we've decided we're going to go raise the money we need to make that happen. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and how do you do that? Just remind We do, folks we do, do that, that through the chairs and pews of churches all across America, like Mount Pleasant, where you as an individual can invest in the Solomon Foundation, just like you'd purchase a certificate of deposit at the bank, you can purchase that same thing with us. And then we take those funds and we loan those out to churches. And that's all we do. Uh, we're very focused. We have no mission drift in our organization. We concentrate on church loans only. Yeah. And we were talking last night at dinner. You just have, like you said, more, more loan requests than you're able to meet right now. So you we got a big a We have a backlog yeah. of about 250 million dollars yeah. of church loans yeah so you just need 250 million dollars from us today yes that'd be, that'd be great we do talk about changing the world <laughs> yeah third the positive thing there's three services one yeah, last night two today you only have to do a third of that so, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Doug, we love the Solomon Foundation. The Solomon Foundation has been such a great partner for Mount Pleasant Christian Church uh, and uh, have benefited us in multiple different ways uh, and uh, are so excited about the, the future uh, with Ryan and uh, just a, the continued growth. Um, so we've got uh, uh, a Solomon Foundation booth out in the foyer and uh, you guys will be out there along with, we've got Randy and Chris Wheeler here from Michigan. Randy is our regional vice president for the Solomon Foundation and Megan Rawlings is also here. So we've got several folks from the Solomon Foundation and you'll be out there and they would love to talk to you today. Uh, even if it's just a couple of minutes, even if you just stop by and pick up a brochure, be sure and do that. I know not everybody goes, leaves the church through the commons area. Some of you come in from the sides, but just change your routine up just a little bit today and walk back there and pick up a, a brochure. And if you have a question, Maybe you're a depositor. We have a lot of depositors. Tell us the numbers. Yes, there's over uh, over 200 uh, families in this congregation that have on deposit along with the church. Uh, about $24.5 million. Okay, so yeah. uh, if you're a depositor, stop by and just, uh, you know, say hi to Doug, meet Ryan and the rest of the, of the group, or just ask whatever question you might have, uh, because uh, there's a lot of information here. We forgot about the big, best number of all. Oh, Yeah. Tell, yeah, I, we did, I did that last. So tell about how many churches and then what the end result is that have been benefited through this ministry of the Solomon Foundation. So we've helped over 600 churches into facilities the last 12 years. We took a snapshot of those churches in attendance the day we made the loan, and we take a snapshot at the end of each year. So this last year, we calculated that those 600-plus churches currently have more than 180,000 more people in church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. But, yep. wait for it, wait for it. That's not the best number, right, Chris? Wait for it. Those 600 churches have baptized over 65,000 people. So, so exciting. So exciting. I'll tell you, you would, uh, you would love to stop by the Solomon Foundation booth, meet uh, these guys, uh, ask any question that you have, and learn more because it is, a, it is a one of the many ways uh, that God is at work changing the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. All right? Well, thanks so much, guys, for Thank being you. here. All right, all right. Well, 
If you got a Bible with you this morning, let me hear your pages turning to the book of Hebrews. And when you get to the book of Hebrews, I want you to find the 13th chapter and just hold that ready for a little while. We're in the second week of a message series called Faithful. Every November, we talk about finances and stewardship from a biblical perspective. And so this year, we're doing it with a message series called Faithful. And the key verse for our message series is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, the apostle Paul writes and says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, must prove faithful. And I told you the context for that verse is uh, Paul is writing about having been given by God the trust of the secret things of God, Uh, not secret things in the sense of things that need to be hidden, but secret things in the sense of things that need to be revealed. So he's talking about having been entrusted by God with the truth of God that he needs to reveal to other people. But there's a divine principle at work in that verse that teaches us that whenever God gives us a trust, whatever it might be, then the key responsibility we have with that trust is to be faithful. And God has given all of us a trust in the sense that he has given all of us a certain amount of financial wealth that we are the managers of, that we are the stewards of. And so what's most important to God is that we are faithful as we do that. And so we're talking about what faithfulness looks like by focusing on four words, the word ownership. We talked about that last week. Uh, stewardship, which means management. That's what we're talking about this weekend. Next week, we'll talk about generosity, or excuse me, contentment. And on the fourth week, we'll talk about generosity. Uh, But as I mentioned, last week, we talked about ownership. Psalm 24 and verse one, David writes and says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We talked about this in great detail last week. The Bible tells us from cover to cover that everything belongs to God. You and I are not owners of everything. Everything belongs to God. And so, So when we understand that, we come to a place in our lives where we fully understand and embrace that, then we understand that the next step for us is to be the best steward or the best manager that we can be of whatever it is that God has entrusted to us. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about what it looks like to be a good manager of whatever amount of money God has entrusted you, whether it's a little or a lot. And I'm going to pause for a moment and tell you that this is a challenge because I've been talking to you about these things For example, I've been talking to you uh, about what it looks like from a biblical perspective to be a good manager of whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you for 22 years. For 22 years, we've been talking about this. And the truth is, it's difficult to find new and creative ways to frame these same biblical truths over and over again. But from a practical standpoint, maybe I should say from a day-by-day standpoint, we just have to understand that this is such a critical part of being a good steward. The way we manage every single day of our lives, whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us. In fact, when I was thinking about these four words that we're looking at, ownership, stewardship, which means management, contentment, and generosity, in my mind, I think that three of those words uh, reflect an attitude and one of those words reflect an action. Being a good steward involves your attitude and your actions. Three of these words are focused on attitude and one is focused on action. I think the words ownership, contentment, and generosity represent, at least to me, attitude. Are there actions that flow from those? Absolutely, there are. But fundamentally, these words reflect an attitude. The very definition of attitude is a manner, disposition, feeling, and position, especially related to the mind. And so if I want to be a faithful steward, I need to come to a place in my mind, you need to come to a place in your mind where we believe that everything belongs to God. That's ownership. And then 
we need to embrace a disposition or a feeling of contentment with whatever it is that God has entrusted to us. Our contentment is not based on material things or the amount of material things, but something much deeper. There's contentment, an attitude of contentment. And then we need to embrace a manner and position of generosity in our lives. And that's an attitude that we need to have because generosity is something that we can't just give lip service to. We can't think of generosity as something that I'll think about or something that I'll embrace someday down the road when I have more to be generous with. It's something that we have to have an attitude about right now. But when it comes to stewardship or management, that takes action. There are specific steps that we need to take if we're gonna be good stewards or good managers of whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us. And in the past, when we've talked about that, we've always addressed it primarily by going to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which is the wisdom book of the Old Testament, and finding some really simple but powerful management rules for handling whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us. And we've always framed it like this. The book of Proverbs tells us when it comes to managing the money God has entrusted us, we need to number one, keep track. We need to number two, plan ahead. We need to number three, save consistently. And we need to number four, give habitually. Those four truths come from the book of Proverbs, and we talked about them over and over again. And I'll stand by those all day, every day. You can try to rewrite them in more modern language, or you can try to rewrite them with more sophisticated financial terms, but it wouldn't improve any of those things. If you were to consistently embrace those four things as you manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you, then I'm going to tell you today, you're going to experience financial freedom in your life. And I'm not saying that from a hypothetical standpoint. I'm saying that because I have followed those four rules of money management for years and years and years. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say, but I will tell you in the context of my life, I experience financial freedom every single day of my life. And it's just from following those four rules. I believe in this firmly. But let's take this a little bit further this weekend. We'll come back to those financial rules from Proverbs uh, in a few minutes, but let's take this a little bit further. We have two choices, all of us, two choices when it comes to the way we run our lives. We can run our lives the way we think is best, or we can run our lives the way God says is best, right? We can run our lives the way we think is best, or the way God says is best, and I'm telling you this morning, when you choose the way God says to run your life, your life will be better. Your life will be better because you'll make better decisions. Your life will be better because you'll maximize the results of those decisions and your life will be better. And this might be the most important thing because you will minimize your regrets. And I'm telling you, friends, I've been a pastor long enough to know that there are a lot of people who come to church week after week after week who are living their life every day with a lot of financial regret because they did what they thought was best rather than what God says is best. And because also for many people, they allowed themselves to believe in a, in a false truth about financial freedom. I read a story uh, the other day about a man who said when he was growing up, all he ever heard his dad talk about when it came to money, all he ever heard his dad talk about was that kind of money. And he, when he was young, he really didn't understand what that meant. But here would be a typical scenario. Somebody in the neighborhood or somebody who was a friend would get a brand new car, an expensive car, and the dad would say, I wish I had that kind of money. Or somebody in the neighborhood or somebody they knew would go on, no, would go on a, a tropical vacation or some kind of really fancy vacation, and the father would 
say, I wish we had that kind of money. And he said, when it came to money, that's all I ever heard my dad say. My dad never said anything to me else about money. All, all I ever heard him talking about was that kind of money. And he said that really came home to him when he found himself one day as an adult thinking and even saying out loud the same thing. I wish I had that kind of money. Or I wish we had that kind of money. And he realized that the big danger in that was that a lot of people think that their financial problems are the result of the fact that they don't have enough money. And while that can, listen to me, don't, don't hit me up after the service. While that can, in some certain circumstances, be the reality of your life, I mean, we, we live in a day and age where the, the price of living is just growing exponentially, the inflation, the cost of living is growing, and, and the truth is wages uh, increases are not keeping up with the cost of living, and I know it's putting a hardship on a lot of people. But the, the truth is, for the most part, when you believe that your biggest financial problem is you don't have enough money, then you're putting yourself in a bad position because the truth is for most people, their financial problems aren't the result of the fact that they don't make enough money. It's that they don't manage the money that they make well. And we have to embrace that. That might be the reality of your life. The reason why millions of people tune in to Dave Ramsey every week is not primarily because they don't make enough money. It's because they don't know how to manage the money that they make. And contrary to popular opinion, the happiest people in the world are not the people who make the most money. In some cases, it's just the opposite. They're not the people who spend the most money. The happiest people in the world are the people who have learned to manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to them as a good steward in a wise way, something that the Bible teaches us over and over again. And so we need to come to a place in our lives, this has got to be a part of our faith, where we understand <clears throat> that what the Bible has to say about money applies to our lives. It applies to the way we handle whatever God has entrusted us. I have a great book in my library written by a man named Randy Alcorn. Maybe you know who that is, maybe not. He's a pretty prolific writer. And this particular book is called <clears throat> Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Listen to a brief excerpt from the book. He says, we, talking about believers like you and me, we are assured by confident voices that the Old Testament practice of tithing doesn't apply to us, <clears throat> that the New Testament practice of liquidating assets and giving to the poor doesn't apply to us, that the biblical prohibitions of interest and restriction of debt doesn't apply to us, that the commands not to hoard and stockpile assets don't apply to us, and on and on. And then he says, at some point, we must ask, then what in the Word, the Word of God, does apply to us? And that's a great question. So we're going to talk about that for just a few minutes more from a biblical perspective. And if you've got your Bibles open to the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter and you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. Just two verses. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Hebrew writer says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? All right, there it is, it's that simple. You can be seated. We always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You're never gonna be, I'm never gonna be a good steward or a good manager of whatever amount of money God has entrusted us until we do two things. If you'd like to take notes, write down the first thing. Number one, you gotta master the emotions of money. You've got to master the emotions of money. You look back at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the first part of the verse. 
And this is what we read. Keep your lives free from the love, everyone say love, love of money and be content with what you have. Here's the bottom line. There are strong attachments to money, strong emotional attachments to money, so strong that people will sacrifice their family, they'll sacrifice their health, they'll sacrifice their reputation and pretty much anything else to get money. That's why Paul writes these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Look at them on the screen. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so here's my point. It's very simple. Write this down somewhere. Money can't be managed until it's mastered from an emotional standpoint. Let me ask you a question. And everybody has to, everybody has to play along. You don't have to answer out loud. But you have to play along in your heart and your mind. How often do you think about money? Think about that for just a minute. How often do you think about money? <clears throat> I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think of myself as someone who loves money. I can say that with integrity. But my answer to this question surprised me when I played along. I think a big part of that is because I have spent so many years of my life hyper-focused on being a good manager of whatever amount of money God has entrusted to me and on saving money. And as I get closer to my retirement, I think about the things I need to check off of my money to-do list to make sure that we are absolutely prepared. But the bottom line is, when I was sitting in my office and I was writing this message, I was pretty surprised by the fact that I think about money more than I am comfortable with. I mean, money is a necessity of life, and so we have to think about it on some level. I always go back to that first rule of financial freedom. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a moment, which is keep track. And I always go to Proverbs 13, 16, which I've told you is my favorite verse in the book of Proverbs because it applies to pretty much every area of life. When the proverb writer says, every prudent man <clears throat> acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. And so we have to spend a certain amount of time thinking about money to be a good manager, but... If you spend a lot of time thinking about money in terms of want or in terms of dissatisfaction, then that should be a big red flag to you in your life. And so what's the answer? What's the answer to, to mastering the emotions of money, the not getting sucked up in this trap of loving money? Well, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews 13.5, we go back and he says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And then notice what he says next. He says, and be Content, everyone say content. Content with what you have, why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now here's the deal, we're gonna talk about contentment next week, that's gonna be the topic of the entire message, so I'm gonna limit what I say here, but let me just give you, try to give you a simple understanding of these words. The Hebrew writer says, keep your, yourself free from the love of money because really there's no end game to loving money. Here's the thing that I want everybody to understand. If you are someone honestly who loves money, maybe you don't think you do, but when you stop and think about it, maybe you're lying to yourself. If you're someone who loves money, I'm just flat out telling you, there's no end game to that. And the reason why there's no end game to that is because the Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse 10, this immutable truth, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And Solomon, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, finished that by saying, this too is meaningless. There's no end game, friends, in your life or anybody's life when it comes to the love of money, because no matter how much you have, 
there'll always be some level of desire for what am I gonna say? More, more. I mean, just be honest. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought to yourself, <clears throat> if I can just get to this income level or if I can just get to this savings amount, then I'll be satisfied. But what happens when you get to that income level and that savings amount? You think it'd be nice to have a little bit what? More. And that's just a, that's a never ending cycle that you can find yourself on. There is no end game when it comes to the love of money. And so what's the alternative for people of faith? It's being content with what you have. But notice in the text that God doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just say, be content with what you have, but he gives some more context to it. He says, be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, I think you can make the case based on this passage of scripture that the Hebrew writer is telling us that the love of money is blatant distrust of God. The love of money is blatant distrust of God. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When you can't be content with what you have along with the knowledge that you have God who has promised to never leave you or forsake you, then that's a problem because that's kind of like saying, I hear you, God, thanks for your promise to always be with me, but I just don't believe that your presence along with the provision that your presence implies is gonna be enough for me. And that reflects blatant distrust of God. And so here's what I want everyone to understand. Money has to be mastered. The emotion of money has to be mastered before it can be effectively managed. And mastering money begins with keeping your life free from the love of money and filled with the kind of contentment that comes from God, his presence and his provision. We're gonna talk more about that contentment next week, but let's move on to the second thing. Here's the second thing. Not only do you have to master the emotions of money, but you'll never really manage money well until you master the management of money. Master the management of money, that's number two. And I go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six for this as well. Uh, again, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Then what does he, what does he say next? He says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Listen, there's nothing more foolish than to love money because money can leave so quickly. Uh, it's foolish to love money because no matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. We talked about that. Well, let me add another thing. It's foolish to love money because money can be here today and can be gone tomorrow. How many, have, how many here have ever had that experience in their life? We all have, right? We all have. I mean, I, I, at, at my age, I have, I have lived as an adult through three periods of time where at no fault of my own, I lost a significant amount of money because of a crisis, a financial crisis in our country of some level. No fault of my own, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't invested in inappropriate things or anything like that. But three different times in my life, I got up one day with a certain amount of money. I got up the next day with about anywhere from 20 to 40% less than what I had the day before. This is, the real, this is one of the realities of money, friends, in the world today. The Bible knows this. Proverbs 23 and verse five says, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I mean, here today, here one day, gone tomorrow. That's basically what that says. 
Now, in contrast to that, the promise of the scriptures, and we see it here in our text, is that God will never leave you, right? He'll never forsake you. You'll never get up one day knowing that God is with you and get up the next day and wonder where he went. That's just not the way God works. He is our our helper. We're confident that he is our helper. We can say, because of God's constant presence, I will not be afraid. And so here's the reality. We don't put our faith and our confidence in money or any material temporal thing. We put our faith and our confidence in God. And when we do that, we give God first place in our lives. When we give God first place in our lives, then we have this commitment to manage whatever amount of money he's entrusted to us, whether it's a little or a lot, in a way that pleases him. And that takes us back to those four rules from the book of Proverbs. And I'm telling you, friends, if we would just follow these four rules in our lives, and you know what? I I say this almost every year. I know so many of you, you know so much more about money and handling money and the intricacies of money than I do. I'm a really simple person. I have a really simple approach to pretty much every part of my life. And so this is my simple approach to the financial part of my life. These four things. Number one, you got to keep track. When it comes to money, you got to manage it from a position of knowledge. Proverbs 13, 16, every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. And I'm telling you that my experience as somebody who has counseled people over the years with regard to finances is that most people are not managing or handling the money God has entrusted to them from a position of knowledge. Let's go to the next passage, the passage in uh, Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for generations. Now, this is the way they would have referred to wealth in ancient days, flocks and herds. To, to you and me today, it would be be careful, uh, or be sure you know the condition of your accounts, your investments, uh, things like that. Uh, because the same thing, riches don't endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. And the truth is most people don't manage whatever amount of money they have from a position of knowledge. So let me just, let me just ask you a question. Can you say today with integrity, If you were asked, can you say that you are, in fact, managing whatever amount of money God has entrusted you from a position of knowledge? And what I mean by that is you're able to say right now how much comes in, you understand your income, how much goes out, you understand your expenses, you understand how much of that is debt, how much of that is money that's being saved, You understand what the condition of your safety nets are. What are safety nets? Well, you understand about your life insurance policy. You understand about your health insurance policy, your homeowner's insurance policy. You have a good uh, comprehension of how you're doing with all of those things. Can you say today from a place of integrity that you are managing whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you from a position of knowledge? If you can't, I'm telling you, that's a problem. That's another financial red flag in your life. And I've told you before, the many times I've sat down with somebody in financial counseling, and I just have this list of questions I'll ask them. I don't do this anymore, really, because we have Financial Peace University and our Financial Freedom Ministry, and we've got some people that are really deeply committed to doing that, and they can do that for you. You can find out more information about that on our website. But anyway, I'll just ask them basic financial questions, like how much, how much is coming in? And then we'll get to the place, well, how much is going out? And I'll say, do you have any debt? And they say, oh, not really, not really any much debt. And I say, well, let's just list it. And we start with a mortgage, and then we go to car payment or car payments, and then we go to credit card bills and consumer bills and student loans. And before you know it, we've got a full page listed of debt obligations, but, but the person began, and I don't think they were lying to me. They began by saying, yeah, I don't have much debt. It's, it's pretty manageable and it's out of control. 
When that happens, you're not managing whatever amount of money God has entrusted you from a position of knowledge. And that is a huge financial red flag. That's the first part about being a good steward or a faithful steward or a faithful manager of what God has entrusted to you. And then we move on to plan ahead. Proverbs 21 and verse five says, the plans, everyone say plans, plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I love that verse. And so we have to have a plan. That's a part of managing money with, from a position of knowledge is having a plan to manage the money that you have, whatever amount it is that God has entrusted you. Uh, there's only really three things that you can do with money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can share it. Spend, save, or share. There's really not much else that you could do with money. All three of those things are an important part of life. We spend money on the necessities of life. We save money for the future, for the short-term future. I hope everyone has an emergency fund for the long-term future because you're not gonna be able to work someday. And the Bible makes it clear that God expects all of us to live generous lives. But here's the question I, that, I, that comes with this part of the, of the message. Do you have a plan for how you're managing the money God's entrusted to you with regard to spending, saving, and sharing? Do you have a plan in place for that? No one will ever experience financial freedom until they have a plan for financial freedom. Because it'll be a plan for financial freedom that helps you... Um, spend less than you earn and create margin in your life. And it's from the margin of your financial life where you save money and where you give money away, where you're able to be generous. And if you don't have a plan to do that, then you're making a big mistake. And friends, listen, it doesn't have to be complicated. I read this story. This is such a great story. I read this <clears throat> story about a pastor who was, he lived in a really wealthy part of Northern California. And he said he was gonna talk about stewardship and finances to the people. And so he went to several people in the experts who were area, or who were experts uh, in the area of finances and just wanted to get some wisdom from them. And he said, one man stood out. He said um, that his first memory of money came when he was three years old, which just boggles my mind. Can you remember anything about when you were three years old? I can't remember three days ago. Can you remember when you were three years old? So this just boggles my mind. Although I know a guy in my home group who can remember pretty much anything that ever happened to him in his life. And he amazes me every week when we meet. I just said that because he's sitting right there. Um, but anyway, he said his first memory when it came to finances, when, when, uh, when he was three years old and his parents gave him an allowance, uh, which was a penny for every year of his life. And this was during the Great Depression. And so he got an allowance of three cents every week. And here's what he did with it. He took one penny to church and he gave it to the offering. He put one penny in savings and he had one penny to just spend with reckless abandon. <laughs> and here he was all these years later, this incredibly wealthy, successful man from a financial standpoint. And he said, I basically follow the same plan. I give and I save and I spend. And he had a plan for doing that. Isn't that amazing? You got a plan? You got a plan for the way you handle the money that God's entrusted to you that takes into account the need for spending, the need for saving, and from a biblical perspective, the need for generosity. If you don't, then that's a financial red flag. And that brings the third thing. The third thing is save consistently. I love this verse from the book of Proverbs. Someday when I'm dead and gone, you're gonna ask both of my children, what do you remember your dad, about your dad? And they will quote this verse. Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. 
dishonest money, and that's just the idea of money that, this idea of, of money can be, uh, come from a get rich quick scheme. Like you don't, you don't ever plan to save money. You just, you know, you, you, you win the lottery or something like that. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 21, 20 says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You know, I read a study this week that said over 50% of people in the United States of America are not financially stable enough to handle a $400 emergency. Think about that for a minute. A $400 emergency. Studies show that during the pandemic, savings rates for Americans grew exponentially, but now in 2023, on the cusp of 2024, post-pandemic, Savings rates are lower than they were during pre-pandemic days. People just don't save money. And that's a huge mistake because what are you gonna do for the future? What are you gonna do in the short-term future when you have a financial need? And what are you gonna do in the long-term future when you can't get up and go to work every day? If saving money is not a part of your financial plan, then you are making a huge mistake. And what I've discovered in talking to people related to finances is that people a lot of times don't save money because they, it's the same reason why a lot of people don't give money. They say, I don't have money to save or they say, I don't have money to give. But the problem is you're just doing a poor job managing the money that you have. I remember when Sandy and I got married, we bought a house. Uh, we got married in 1982, lived in Houston, Texas, bought a house. My house cost $58,500. The interest rate was 12 and a half percent. Okay, 12 and a half percent, which was, was incredible because in, you, when I graduated from college in 1980, interest rates were 18, 19, 20, and 21%. Some of you are old enough to remember these days. So 12 and a half percent seemed like it was like, wow. Anyway, we bought this house and then the oil industry in Houston, which drove the economy, just bottomed out. And when the oil industry bottomed out, people just left Houston in, in droves. And all of a sudden you had neighborhoods that were filled with empty homes. Well, you know what that does to the the value of your home, it takes the value of your home down significantly. And now we have two kids and we've outgrown this home. We need to sell it, but it's not worth as much money as we paid for it. And so we had to take money. We had to take money to the closing just to sell the house. I had to give money to the guy who bought my house to get out of the house. And it was a financial hit, pretty significant. We moved in and lived with her mom and dad for six months. And then we rented a house. But I mean, almost from the day we moved out of that house, I had this, this goal in my mind to buy another house, but to be, you know, a little bit wiser about it this time. And so I went through all my finances and I figured that all I had to save, all I had to save was $30 a paycheck. That was it, $30. I didn't have any more because it didn't make very much money. Didn't have much margin, that was it. Now, a lot of people would look at that and say, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, I'm just telling you the truth. A lot of people look at that and say, that's not enough money to even worry about saving. But I save $30 a month or a paycheck every month, every month. And that was back in the days when you had to write out the check and go down to the bank in person and deposit in the, in the account, you know, even though your money was there and, and do all that. You, there was nothing automated back in those days. And I did that as faithfully as you could do, $30, $30, $30. And over the course of time, um, we ended up moving from Houston to Oklahoma. And uh, when we moved to Oklahoma, I had almost the exact amount of money I needed to buy a house in Oklahoma. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of money. That just a basic minimum amount, but God was faithful because I had a plan. 
and I was faithful. So you can't, you, nobody will ever be able to convince me that the words of Proverbs 13, 11 aren't true. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And so my question is, do you, do you save consistently? Do you have some kind of savings plan? Because you understand, you, you don't presume on tomorrow and you certainly don't presume on what's gonna be happening 10 years from now or 20 years from now. And so you have a plan for saving money. The fourth thing in Proverbs is give habitually. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with, the, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We're gonna talk about generosity on the last week of this series. So I'm not gonna say a whole lot about it here, but I do wanna do this. Uh, I'm gonna be a little bit over time. I wanna show you a video like I did at the end of the message last week. Uh, we showed a video from Central India Christian Mission about how our partnership, your faithful stewardship that, allows, that enables us to give significant money to Central India Christian Mission is changing the world in India. I wanna show you how it's changing the, the world in another part of the world real quick. I'll come back after the video is over and we'll close the service. My name is Mawit Vulat and I'm the founder director for Prem Ministries in Poland. Uh, we've started our ministry 33 years ago, actually, and uh, it has been a wonderful time and a journey to life with the friends and partners in the ministry. 27 years ago, can you believe that 27 years ago, we met first uh, Mount Pleasant people in Poland. You guys send your the best uh, to play, to be with us at the basketball camp. And that was the origination and the beginning of our relationship. And this relationship we cherish. And uh, it's almost unbelievable that for so many years, for every year, except of the COVID time, group for your church is coming to help us at Prem for basketball camps, for the mission weeks, for the mission endeavors. When I'm thinking about the past, when I'm thinking about what God has done through you in partnership in the spirit of togetherness with you, it's it's incredible journey. You know, we talk first about the basketball camps. Yes, that's important because every every summer we do international basketball camps and having Ukrainians, Belarusians and other European countries to come and great week of the basketball and preaching the word of God as well. Many salvation, decision salvation. But then, you know, when we develop our relationship, we talk Poland needs the church, needs the churches and more churches to plant, to get, to reach more people with the gospel of Christ. Well, you know what? Your church step up to help us with the church planting. Well, I'm so glad to report to you that since that time, we're just about to open up the third campus. Tommy Church is uh, one church in the three locations. In January, we will open up the third campus in the city of Piotrków. Uh, and uh, right now we secure already the room, which is under construction right now. And hopefully January next year, the regular church service will be on on Sunday morning. And of course, you know, the, uh, the situation in Poland and uh, Ukraine and uh, war, Russian attacks, uh, Ukrainians, uh, because we are there and we are neighbors with Ukrainians. So the first day when war broke up, we did have the Ukrainians coming, fleeing, actually running for life and make a settlement in our property at camps. And another miracle has happened. There was a hotel for sale. 
in the city nearby to the our campground in the city of Tomaszów Mazowiecki. And you know what? Your church, you just step up with sending substantial amount of money to make this project available. So, in other words, in June 1st, we were able to to get over this uh, three-star hotel, fully functioning, and uh, relocated people on the June 1st from uh, campground to this facility with uh, uh, meals, with uh, bed clothes, with everything ready to go. So this relationship is still going on with this uh, helping to the Ukrainian uh, refugees. So guys, we appreciate your help. We appreciate your support. Most of all, we appreciate your prayers and people who are willing to step out from your comfort zone to come to our place and do a ministry with us. It means a lot to us and we praise God uh, for whatever you're doing for us. We, you know, relationship with our elders, with Pastor Chris could not be underestimated because in this we feel like a family. Uh, and then the, the guy Kunet and other people, I guess it was hundreds of people from your church uh, doing the ministry with us in Poland. Well, guys, keep doing good, good work because you are making a difference in our country, influencing people with the gospel of Christ, of Christ. So thank you very much for your support, for your prayers, and for doing what you're doing to enlarge kingdom, make a kingdom growing, especially in the country of Poland. God bless you. Mawit Vulat Prem Ministries. Let me just quickly go back to what I said earlier. There, we have two choices when it, it comes to how we run our life, the way we think is best or what God says is best. And God tells us in, this, in his word how we are to be good stewards, faithful stewards or managers of whatever amount of money he's entrusted to us. If you're doing that, then great job, keep it up. If you're struggling, then listen, get the help that you need. We make it available here. God can redeem your finances no matter what condition they're in, he can. And we have uh, Financial Peace University and we have the Legacy Journey that are beginning in January and beginning next weekend. You can sign up for those in the commons after the services next weekend. And listen, once again, we've bought the price down. So all it will cost you to be a part of that, to change your financial life forever is $10. That's it. Mount Pleasant is making that possible by uh, paying down what it costs to go through that class. This is how serious we are about helping everyone be a faithful manager of whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you. So what are you going to do? What you think is best or what God says is best? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today uh, and just help us to be the best uh, faithful, the most faithful stewards and managers that we can be of everything you've entrusted us because there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake in our personal lives. There's so much at stake in the legacy of our lives with our children and their children and on and on, generation after generation. And there's so much at stake when it comes to living out the mission of this church, which is to change the world for Christ, one life, one family, one opportunity at a time. Bring conviction to our hearts and help us to respond in the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. 